How y'all doing today? If you hear a ruckus in the background, it's just a kitten who apparently thinks this litter box is a sandbox. But we'll let him play. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Hmm. Tell me something I already know, preacher. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Romans 3, 23, 24. You know, I wonder if it would surprise anybody if I said to you that there are many preachers out there today, believe it or not, who willfully avoid teaching on the biblical doctrine of sin and God's hatred of it and the impending, inevitable, fierce wrath of God to come because of it. You know, it hasn't always been this way. The preacher hasn't always tiptoed around certain biblical doctrine as though he was tiptoeing through a field of daisies. There was a time when preachers simply preached the truth of the whole Word of God. The irony is sin and judgment and hell are a big part of the gospel for me. And it's every true preacher's job to preach the gospel if indeed you have been called to preach. What's the gospel? The violent wrath of God's judgment upon sin appeased. Through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, His Son. And all of those who call upon that wonderful name, the name of Jesus Christ, wonderfully escape hell's eternal destruction as we are now restored and reconciled to God as our sins are washed away by the blood of the Lamb of God. Isaiah says, Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. So why are we so quick to willfully avoid what the Bible has to say about sin and judgment today? And I'm really not sure, to be honest. It's a mystery. But if I were to guess, I reckon it's because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Or maybe it's because we don't want to make anybody feel bad about themselves. But doesn't the Bible teach us that this is precisely what defines a true friend? A true friend is the man or woman who is faithfully willing to hurt my feelings every once in a while. Telling me the truth. Telling me what I need to hear. Even though it may sting. For my best good. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 27.5 says, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. If we truly love the world, 
then we must be willing to preach the doctrines of the Bible that may make people uncomfortable or even hurt their feelings a little bit. If we are not willing to preach certain biblical doctrine simply because it won't make them feel good, then we don't truly love them. And we are not true friends. You know, from my perspective, praise God if a preacher moves a man to the tears of repentance by preaching the truth of the Word of God. Because I believe Psalm 35, brothers and sisters, weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Now, maybe we avoid certain biblical doctrine because we're afraid of offending someone or losing congregants. But fear is not of God, because a true love of the brethren knows not fear. True love only wants what's best for them. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. And 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. It's not the preacher's job to make anyone feel good or bad. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? It always has been. This is no mystery. Conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment is the work of the Holy Spirit, as is the joy of salvation. John 16, 8 says, Jesus says, And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Now, if the Holy Spirit is eager to convict the world concerning sin and judgment, mustn't the preacher teach on sin and judgment to prepare the way for the Spirit of God? Isn't this the preacher's job to preach the truth of God? Otherwise, how will the people know? Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? The preacher proclaims the whole counsel of the word of God, and the Holy Spirit takes over from there, moving men's hearts as he sees fit. Jesus himself said in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Telling people only the things we assume they want to hear doesn't create better odds that they will be saved. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Psalm 3, 8. Salvation does not belong to man. Now, would you agree that it is the preacher's job simply to faithfully tell God's story, the whole of it? Isn't it the preacher's job to faithfully proclaim the whole counsel of the Word of God, the whole counsel, with wisdom, with gentleness, and with kindness? 
as he's being led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who has prepared himself to move upon the hearts of men after such a faithful proclamation. And why do we assume anyways? Why do we assume anyways that the people are going to be turned off or saddened by preaching on the doctrine of sin, judgment, or hell? The Bible gives us no basis for such an assumption. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. The pain and sorrow that men and women feel as the Holy Spirit faithfully convicts us of our sin is the very thing that leads to our salvation. I can almost argue that before salvation there will be sorrow, and that according to the very will of God. That is, a sorrow for sin. Now, it's not the preacher's job to tickle the ears of the congregation, whether that is what the world is looking for or not. This is not love. This is not the work of a true friend. Now, I know in 2020, <laughs> I know in 2020, if we preach on biblical doctrine that doesn't fit perfectly in the ear, there may be someone who gets up right before your eyes and leaves your church. You never see him again even though you are preaching sound biblical doctrine. But this shouldn't surprise us, and it shouldn't hurt us, and it shouldn't make us shy away from preaching certain biblical doctrine, just because there are so many people today who are simply looking for a teacher to tickle their ears and to tell them all of the things that they want to hear. Now, it shouldn't surprise us because God told us 2,000 years ago that days like these were coming. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And it's obvious to me that that day has come. Jesus says in Matthew 16.2 and 3, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? Again, Second Timothy 4.3 For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Now has not the time come? I mean, what do you hear that spirit of discernment within you saying? How many people in the world today accept myth as truth simply because they like the way it makes them feel? And how many people in the world today accept myth as truth simply because it allows them to continue to do the things that they like to do? But the truth, capital T, the truth, they reject for no more of a reason than it offends them in some way. This is the standard today. How does a religion make me feel? How does a teaching make me feel? 
And again, why do we assume anyways that if we preach the biblical doctrine of sin or judgment or hell, that the world will be irked or offended? Now, it can't be anything but fear or faithlessness that gives that assumption power within the preacher. Who am I as the preacher to allow myself to assume such things about God's word, that it is offensive? Sin, judgment, and hell are biblical doctrines, and so we preach them. All of the power to raise a man up or to bring a man low, or to soften a man's heart or to harden a man's heart, belongs to God. God does exactly what he wants to do with his word once it has gone forth from his bondservant. Once the word of God has been spoken, it is this very word that goes to work, softening or hardening the hearts of men. Men are not moved by the preacher's worldly wisdom. Some of the most powerful, meaningful, and effective sermons in American history have been about sin, judgment, and hell. Judgment and sin are truth, and they are biblical, and we must discuss them. And in the midst of our discussion, I promise you, we will glorify the God of all the earth. And here is our goal. How may we glorify God by discussing sin, judgment, and hell? Because our awareness of sin creates need and so leads us hand in hand to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And in turn, this begins to stir in us thankfulness and gratitude and humility and brotherly love, and all at the tender, unmerited mercy and grace of God. To avoid any biblical doctrine because we're afraid of how we're going to make people feel is prideful, and it is faithless, and it shows us to be bad friends, from my perspective. And it does not take into account the power of God. If indeed you take the name of my God and Savior Jesus Christ upon your lips, preacher, then proclaim to the world the full gospel, the whole counsel of the word of God, for God won't be mocked for long. God will not allow his glory to be diminished and cheapened for long. When we water down and soften the gospel of God, we have denied his power right to his face. The glory of God is a raging bonfire, but we present him to the world as but a flickering wick. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 1, 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Who am I? I am but the bondservant through whom God has chosen to tell his story, but all the power to move a man's heart belongs to God. 
1 Corinthians 3, 7 says, Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. You know, we all naturally know that we're imperfect anyway. We all instinctively know that we're all sinners, and yet we avoid talking about sin as though it doesn't exist. But it does exist, and more God has offered us a solution. Now, how are we to accept a solution from God if we don't know there's a problem? But we all instinctively know that there is indeed a problem. We all know that we come short of the high calling of God. Now, we may suppress what we know, but we know it still, all of us. Romans 1, 18 through 20 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which is made, so that they are without excuse. And Romans 2, 14 and 15 says, even about the man who knows nothing of the Bible. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are law to themselves, and they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. You see, the entire world has a general sense of what is right and what is wrong. This is the work of God. Nowhere in the world is the thief admired. Nowhere in the world is the murderer considered a good man. Nowhere in the world is the liar highly esteemed among men. Every man knows instinctively what he should do, and every man knows that he doesn't always do what he should do. And therefore, every man instinctively knows that when he is finally disciplined and judged by God for his sin, God is completely righteous and just in doing so. And yet we still, somehow, make up our minds not to talk about the biblical doctrine of sin and judgment and hell in so many of our churches. Now, me personally... I feel as though my own sin is ever before me. Every day I grow near to God, and the closer I get to the God of all glory, the brighter His holy light becomes, blinding me and illuminating that shameful part of me born of hell. I am ever convicted by the Holy Spirit of God, ever aware of just how far I miss the mark. Now, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. I may have a guiltier conscience than most. Now, I never hurt the heart of God willfully or intentionally, but how many of you know that sometimes sin bursts out of the heart like a jack-in-the-box, unexpectedly and without warning, instantly conforming us to its oppressive will? And yes, I hope sometimes that when I get to heaven, Jesus is going to look at me with a sly smile and say, Stu, you weren't missing the mark near as far as you thought you were. But I will tell you right now that I don't 
hate the fact that I am ever aware of just how far short of the glory of God I come. You know, my always being aware of all of my faults and all of my shortcomings. It has this amazing effect with me. You see, as I am brought low, Jesus Christ is raised up and he is exalted within my heart. My awareness that I'm a sinner only makes me grateful and thankful. Creating within me a spirit of worship because of what God has done by opening his gracious hand and giving me a savior, Jesus Christ. If a preacher wants to tie sin, judgment, and hell into every sermon, I'm just fine with that. Because one, it's biblical. And two, at the end of every sermon, I'm going to be the one rejoicing and praising God for Jesus Christ who saves me from it all. As preachers, why are we so concerned about what people think about the truth of the Word of God or how it makes them feel? It's not our place to dwell on such things. It's our job simply to preach it in love. But how a doctrine makes people feel is not our concern. When we preach the whole counsel of the Word of God, we must already know that people aren't always going to like what they hear. Did not Jesus say in Luke 12, 49 through 51, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. And Jesus says in Matthew 10, 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And what is the sword but the truth of the whole word of God? The power of God for salvation. Ephesians six thirteen through 18 says, Therefore take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The whole Word of God. And what is the Word of God but the truth of God, which God earnestly desires for every man to hear? Now, men may not respond to the truth. They may reject it. And they may even hate you for preaching it. But this shouldn't be a surprise. John 3.13 tells us clearly not to be surprised if the world hates us. There's just, there is something about that name Jesus Christ, my God. John 7, 7, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
Men are set free because of the truth of the word of God. So how can we avoid preaching the whole counsel of the word of God? Jesus said in John 8, 31, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So freedom comes way of the truth, and the truth is the whole counsel of the word of God. To not preach the entire counsel of the word of God is like having the keys to a prison full of captives. And we're willing to use the key to let them out of their cell, but we're not willing to use the key that opens that last door that sets them free. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now everybody's heard somebody say nobody's perfect. And they're right. None of us are perfect. We all know it. Not only have we all sinned, but we are all predisposed to sin again. We all know that as well. Even the saint is a sinner. You know, somebody once called Nelson Mandela a saint. I love his response. Mandela said, if by a saint you mean a sinner keeps on trying, all right, maybe I'm a saint. Nobody's perfect. We all fall short. James 3.2 says, we all stumble in many ways. But it is this gift of the very awareness of our sin and imperfection that urges us toward Jesus Christ. The conviction of our sin and the consciousness of our sin is a wonderful gift as far as I'm concerned. Our mindfulness and our appreciation of our own sinful natures has a way of putting the glory of God on display in so many different ways for me. When I look in the mirror, I may see my own wretched reflection looking back at me. But as soon as I close my eyes and begin to meditate upon the truth of the whole counsel of the Word of God, I begin to see something else. When I close my eyes, I begin to see just how wonderful God is. That he, would care to, that he would care to save somebody as broken and wretched as me. I begin to see the depth of his love for me. That he would crush his own son, Jesus Christ, putting him to death. So that I might live free of the bondage of sin, death, and guilt. Thank you, Jesus. I begin to see the grace of God being magnified within my heart as I have done nothing to deserve Him. I begin to see the kindness, compassion, forbearance, and the mercy of God as He has chosen the much harder way of love and pursuing affection and not condemnation and not judgment. Thank you, Jesus. But for me, for me, the true significance of all of these things, the true significance of all of these wonderful attributes of God are perfected in my awareness of my own imperfection. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, and I am overjoyed that I know that I am. 
I offer my sincerest thanks to the man who first told me that I was, no matter how he made me feel at the time. And I often feel as though I have much to be forgiven of. And in one sense, this is my pride. It is my pride because Jesus said, He who is forgiven much, loves much. There is hope for me yet. Because I am aware of my own sinfulness, I very well may stumble upon the knowledge of the deep, precious, and meaningful things of God, like His love. But what I won't stumble over is self-righteousness. Jesus once asked a question to a self-righteous Pharisee. He said, A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Denarii was a unit of money back in the day. Let me change that so it sounds more relatable. Jesus said, A moneylender had two debtors. One owed $500,000 and the other $500. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? He who is forgiven much, loves much. Sin is a disease. Yes. And it's not easy to talk about. But nevertheless, pray that the doctor tells you that you are sick, because if he doesn't, how will you know to seek treatment? If I have cancer and the doctor doesn't tell me I have cancer because he doesn't want to hurt my feelings, when I die because of my cancer, I'm going to be ticked off at the doctor. (laughs) I would rather he had told me so that I could seek treatment. Because where there is an awareness of a disease, there is an awareness of a need. Jesus tells a story. It's in Luke 18, 10 through 14. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up and began to pray this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Where there is self-righteousness, and no admitted awareness of sin, there is no perceived need. And Jesus said, it is not the righteous who need a physician, but those who are sick. But where sin abounds in the heart of a man, where sin abounds in the heart of a man, grace and love and thankfulness and gratitude and humility and worship abound all the more. Whether we see it or not, we all have a need. And it's so important to talk about, don't you think? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift 
by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. You see, all of our discussion about sin makes this verse come alive to me. It means something a little more to me now than it did but a moment ago. This is why I never forget that I'm a sinner. Because God is glorified therein. Justified and redeemed. Yes, but a sinner. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. 1 Kings 8.46 says, For there is no man who does not sin. In James 3.2, we've already said it. We all stumble in many ways. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner who is justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now justification or being declared innocent of all wrongdoing is a gift from God. There is not a single thing a man can do on earth to justify himself in the eyes of God. There is no amount of money that a man can give to charity. There's no amount of money that a man can tithe. There's no number of good works that a man can do. Apart from accepting God's gift, who is Jesus Christ. In the eyes of God, all of our good deeds and all of our good works are but filthy rags strewn about the floors of heaven. Isaiah 64, 6 says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are all guilty simply awaiting the sentencing phase of the trial. All we can do is joyfully accept what God has already done. Justification can only come from God, and it is offered to anyone who accepts it as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ, by way of His sacrificial death, washes away our sin by His very blood. And then He transfers His righteousness to us. And we are then acquitted of all charges. This is the gift. You see, because God loves you and me. I don't know how else to say it. He just loves us. And because of this, he decided in his beautiful heart to make a way for you and I to escape what would be his just wrath and judgment upon our sin. 1 John 3.16 says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Thank you, Jesus. Because of his grace, because of his love, because of his gift to men, we can be saved from the wrath of God to come. 
Through Jesus Christ, we can be saved from the judgment to come. A judgment that is already hovering over our heads as a sword, even today. John 3.18 says, He who believes in the Son is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Judged already. But there is yet hope for the man who knows that he is a sinner. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. It already abides on him. But there is yet hope for the man who knows that he is a sinner. The just judgment of God upon sin is imminent for the man or woman who rejects the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial Lamb of God. And Hebrews 2.3 says, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Well, we won't. There is no escape. Deuteronomy 32.39 says, See now that I, I am He, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal, and there is no one who can deliver from my hand. So let us not neglect so great a salvation. And let us accept God's wonderful gift to men. Let us say with the Apostle Paul, with joy and gladness. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.15, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Jesus, the love of God fully expressed among men, is God's gift to you and I this Thanksgiving and this Christmas season. God's gift of Jesus Christ is true food, true drink, and the true present. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Man, I love that word, redemption. You and I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of God, God's true sacrificial Lamb who is Jesus Christ. Now in order to be redeemed... We must first be captives, right? We must first see that we are bound up and separated from the grace of God apart from Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26 says that we are with gentleness to correct those who are in opposition if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. And 1 John 5.19 says, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You see, we belong to someone, whether we know it or not. Either to God, through Jesus Christ, or to Satan, the ruler of this world. There is no man on earth who can remain neutral, no matter how good of people we think we are. 
Now, I realize that apart from Jesus, we don't always see ourselves as belong to Satan. But is there a chance we've been deceived? Revelation 12, 7 through 9 says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan. Who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. Being justified as a gift by his grace. Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Thank you, my God. And if we have been redeemed, then we must have also been liberated from our captivity, right? Ephesians 1, 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Thank you, Jesus. Liberated indeed by the blood of Jesus Christ, if indeed we believe. And if we have been redeemed, then someone must have paid redemption's price for you and I, right? 2 Corinthians 2, 15, one more time. Say it with me. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Say it with me. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God paid the price as a gift, and what a steep price he was willing to pay for our life and our freedom. Our redemption cost God the death of his own son, Jesus, even death on a cross, cross of Calvary. Oh, how God must hate sin. And oh, how he must love men. For the Bible says that God was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. Oh, how God has a passion for saving the souls of men and women who know that they are sinners. Oh, how God has a passion for saving the souls of men and women who know that they are broken and know that they are needy. Be broken and needy before God. And God will not turn you away, but rather He will come to you and He will fall upon you and He will take you as His own and you will know Him. Are we sinners? Yes. But we are so much more than that. Those of us who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are redeemed. We are the beloved of God. For the Bible says it is not that we loved God, but that he loved us. We are the ones on whom the grace of God has fallen. On all of us who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people for God's own possession. We are the rescued. We are the saved. 
Colossians 1.13 and 14 says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Jesus. We are the prodigal sons, and we are the prodigal daughters. We are the justified, and we are the heirs of a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Titus 3.7 says that we have been justified by His grace and we have been made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. Are we sinners? Yes. But we are, we are so much more than that. Amen. Love you, dudes.